the teams you care about. The Patriots are now closer to the bottom of the AFC than the top. That's a fact. The stories that matter to you. Trevor Story, man, he makes the Red Sox much, much better in 2022. This is your home for New England sports. I'm just wondering what happens next for UVA, because I think there could be a lot of turnover on that roster. This is the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV-AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. What's up, everybody? Welcome back into the Brady Farkas Show. Tonight, it is a Tuesday here on WDEV-AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. We have a full show today, all 90 minutes. We're up until 7 o'clock, and then it's Red Sox baseball. The Sox put their five-game win streak on the line in Chicago as they take on the White Sox, a team that's made the playoffs the last couple of years and is Pretty darn talented, even though Luis Robert is on the COVID list and won't play today. The pregame show is at 7.10, so we go up until 7, then we get the news update, then the game. We're, we're here to be your uh, respite for the night, okay? That's what we're here for. The news is heavy. We know about the tragic events of what's happened at that Texas school in which 14 students have been killed in another mass shooting in this country. Um there's going to be more to come on that by people that are far smarter than me, frankly, and people that are far more into the news world of opinion than I am. I'm here to be your respite for tonight, um, you know. But we do the show with a heavy heart and a full understanding of what is going on in the country. With that said, we are going to do our best to give you that respite tonight up until 7 o'clock. We'll check in with Mike Matnansky, a.k.a. Mutt of WEEI in Boston, who will stop by at 545 before the Red Sox game. I'll tell you about my experiences of riding the train to work today. I have some questions for the local economists on the matter, so I, I need your help out there. And a little NFL is OTAs are going on around the league. You can get in on the Napa-Morrisville, Napa-Waterbury text line, 802-585-3026. You are locally owned Napa stores in Waterbury and Morrisville. And you can also get in on Facebook Live, YouTube Live, and my Twitter account as well. Five, four, three, two, one. And here we go. The opening thoughts of the Brady Farkas Show, brought to you by Sticks and Stuff and by Swanton Lumber, Vermont's most complete Locally owned home center, locations in Enosburg, Derby, Middlesex, St. Albans, and at Swanton Lumber. They're online at sticksandstuff.com. Celtics, woo! That was fun last night. That was easy last night. We predicted the Celtics would win. We predicted they needed a big performance out of Jason Tatum. They did win. They did get the big performance. And as a result, it's a 20-point win, 102-82. to And the Seas even up the Eastern Conference Finals at two games apiece as we shift back to Miami. This was a really interesting game in a lot of ways. We'll talk about some of kind of the side plots to this game, but the bottom line is the Celtics did last night exactly what they wanted to do. The same word kept coming up post-game. Everybody was using the same buzzwords, aggressiveness and urgency. The Celtics felt like they were in on their home floor in Game 3. They thought they did not come out ready to play. They wanted to change that, and they did. The Celtics were up at one point yesterday in the first quarter, 18-1. to That is unbelievable. 
heard of in an NBA game. The Heat didn't even get their first bucket until just over three minutes to play in the first quarter. The Celtics were up 26 points in the half. You cannot start much better than Boston did. And it all came back to that word urgency. The Celtics started the game like they were on a mission. They controlled it. Offensively, they controlled it. Defensively, Derek White was huge all game long, but really in the opening stanza. He had the first seven points of the game. Then it became the Jason Tatum show, and then it just became a suffocating defensive effort, and the Celtics went on cruise control. The Seas won the game by 20. It didn't feel that close. Boston was up 26 at the end of the first half. They were up 29-11 to at the end of the first quarter. They were up 32 at one point during the game. They win the game by 20. It wasn't that close. The Celtics dominated. Again, it all came back to those words, aggressiveness and urgency, Ime Udoka. Yeah, it's like we've been here before. We've obviously played extremely well throughout the playoffs and uh, second half of the season, so we expect that from ourselves. More of a disappointment when we come out flat the way we did the other night. So uh, handle it the right way, still come out with the same urgency as it. There's the word urgency from Udoka. How about Jason Tatum? Your shot in the word Olympics. Urgency. Um, that was a focal point coming into this game. It was just Urgency was the name of the game, and the Celtics had it. Even without Marcus Smart, their emotional leader, it was remarkable to see them do what they did without kind of the, the well-established heart and soul of their team. Tatum was assertive. He got to the foul line 16 times in this game. We talked all in game one about Jimmy Butler getting there 18 times and controlling things. Well, Jason Tatum controlled them yesterday. He got to the line 16 times. He took it to the basket, and he dictated play with authority. Al Horford was integral. Only had five points, but he had 13 rebounds. He had four blocks. Robert Williams provided a massive spark in this game. 12 points, 9 boards. This was a team yesterday that knew they were in a must-win game. They played like it. They played like their season on the line. They set out to play with urgency. They did just that. And now they go back to Miami. Game 5 tomorrow. You're two wins away now from the NBA Finals. It was just a dominant performance from start to finish by the Seas. The fourth quarter was essentially meaningless going through the motions. With the parts of the game that mattered, the Celtics were absolutely, unequivocally in control of. And I know the Heat were banged up. Celtics were banged up too. And the Seas went out there and they just throttled Miami for 48 minutes. I mean, they just throttled them for 48 minutes. Other takeaways from the game and kind of varying degrees of importance here. One, I was really, really impressed with Jason Tatum. We said that without Marcus Smart, he needed to carry the team offensively, and he did just that. We said he needed to go for 30-plus and do it efficiently, and he did just that. Hit 31 points in just 34 minutes of play. He was 8 of 16 from the floor, 50%, 14 of 16 at the line, mission accomplished. You get 30 points, check. You do it effectively and efficiently, check. 
You, you can't draw it up better than Tatum did yesterday. He had 31 points in only 34 minutes. Had that game been close, he's going for 40. 50% from the floor, 90% from the line or whatever it is. I mean, he 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 was efficient. He didn't settle. He got to the basket. It's the star effort that we expected coming out of a subpar game three. Kudos to you, Jason Tatum. And I give him a lot of credit because it's pretty clear to me that the shoulder stinger he got in game three is still bothering him. And even though it is, he found a way to still carry the load. That is impressive. We saw Tatum kind of working out the shoulder in the first quarter. Tatum shot poorly from three. He was one of seven from three, I believe. So I definitely felt like from distance, he had a hard time shooting. So even though he didn't have the distance shot, he went and got the other clubs out of his bag. Went to the basket, finished around the rim, creative footwork in the paint, around the paint of the low block, got to the free throw line. We asked for a star effort. We got it. Jason Tatum outscored the Miami Heat himself in the first quarter. It was Jason Tatum 12, Heat 11 at the end of 12 minutes. Jason Tatum did exactly what we needed him to do, exactly what we expected him to do. Kind of takeaway number two here. On the contrary to Jason Tatum, that game was incredibly physical, and I think the physicality bothered Jalen Brown. Now, he's a physical specimen. He has the ability to play physical, and we saw him, to his credit, take the ball to the hoop and finish with some physicality as well. But he seemed annoyed at what wasn't being called last night. He has the body and the aggressive nature to play a physical game, but yesterday it seemed to get under his skin. That was one of the more physical games that I can remember. Like This felt like the 90s basketball that I'm always told about. The refs were letting everything go yesterday for the most part. Jalen Brown had turned it over a bunch in game three. I think he was irritated again to get hit, not have it called, and risk a turnover again. He had just one official turnover, which shocked me. It felt higher than that, but I saw him complaining to the refs a lot, getting hit as he went through traffic and 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 not getting a call and looking at the refs, putting his hands up. He was 5 of 20 from the floor. He had just 12 points. I feel like he was bothered yesterday by the physicality and the lack of officiating that went in his favor. So it's something to watch for as you go on the road. Jalen Brown, I do not think that Jalen Brown is soft, but last night I think it got under his skin in a way that I haven't seen it really do that in a while. And number three, finally, my last kind of takeaway here. I cannot believe that I'm saying this, but I wish there was some more time off in this series. These two teams are playing every other night, regardless of travel, and that doesn't seem fair to me. We're seeing teams out on the floor that are exhausted, that are sloppy, that are injured, and the injuries are now playing a role in this series. Marcus Smart couldn't play. Robert Williams hasn't played. Tyler Hero can't play. Jimmy Butler's not 100%. P.J. Tucker's not 100%. The NBA usually makes their playoffs extend far too long, and I usually hate that. But 
I wish there was more time off in this series because this series between really good basketball teams to go to the NBA Finals is being the, – the, the injuries are part of the storyline. The rest or lack of is part of the storyline, and they shouldn't be. Not at this level. At least when you're traveling, give an extra day off. You want to play Monday in Boston or Sunday in Boston and or what was it, Saturday in Boston and, and Monday in Boston? I'm fine with that. But please can we play Thursday in Miami? I hate doing this because I'm usually the guy that bags on it being too long, but injuries and exhaust exhaustion are part of the story when I don't want them to be. We had Abby Chin from NBC Sports Boston on yesterday, and she, 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 she agreed with me that the compressed nature of the schedule is at least noteworthy, and it's having an effect. I am exhausted, and especially with the travel, because it's not, you know, like you're going to Brooklyn where it's a 45-minute flight, and you can come back that, the night of the game. The Celtics are using that off day for travel, which is less than ideal. And so it is, it's rough. It, it's the way the NBA has laid it out you know, because they want to have action every other night. And it's not surprising to anyone. What I am concerned about is looking at the Western Conference and seeing that the Warriors may be done three or four days for the winner of the Eastern Conference, who is battling it out, grinding in a very physical series. We go back to Miami now. We do it all again tomorrow. Uh, Hero is expected to play. We'll see about Smart. We'll see about Williams. Celtics took care of business. They did exactly what they needed to do. They did exactly what they should have done. And now it's a best of three for a spot in the NBA Finals. I just wish that on the, when we switch over travel, we had an extra day because the storyline right now feels less about great basketball and more about who's available and who's not and who's, who's not 100%. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Red Sox baseball is coming up at 710, the Usual voice of the Red Sox pregame show on DEV is Mike Butnanski, a.k.a. Mutt. He's going to stop by next. What that we saw this past weekend out of the Sox was real, and what was the product of just playing a bad Mariners team? Mutt answers that question and more next on DEV. This is former NFL wide receiver Keyshawn Johnson, and now we're back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV Radio and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in. Brady Farkas Show here on this Tuesday on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Full show tonight all the way up until 7 o'clock. Then at 7.10, we kick it on over to Red Sox Baseball. Sox and White Sox pregame show, 7.10, first pitch, 8.10. Joining us now on the phone line is Mike Matnansky. You know him as Mutt from WEI in Boston. He's our usual host of the Red Sox pregame show here on WDEV. Mutt, how are you? Uh, Brady, I'm doing good, buddy. Springtime, nice weather. Let's go. Let's I appreciate Yeah, I appreciate you being with us. I want to bounce around a few different things. Let's just put a bow yeah. on our Celtics conversation first. I am usually the first guy to bag on the NBA playoffs taking far too long. But in this case, how do you feel about all the quick turnaround times in this series? Because it feels like exhaustion and injury are becoming too big a part of the conversation. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, I'm with you normally. I think the thing drags on entirely too long. Uh, in this case, you have two veteran teams that are banged up, and I think that's what led to it was seeing two like, crazy results, right, or four crazy results, the two, the two major swings between 
the two teams. Certainly an issue. I don't think in, in Dallas, Golden State, it's an issue. Golden State just better. But overall, the playoffs for the conference final standpoint, I'm sure TNT, I'm sure ESPN's annoyed because the game's been blown. It's sticking around in the fourth quarter in these games. But I, I would just say it, it's annoying. But I would, if the, if the question is, do I want the longer stretch between games or the short, short stretch, I'll take this day off, day on thing. That's a better option to me, even with the injuries, than the three days, one game, three days. Really, five days in that Buck series, Brady. That was way yeah. too long. Yeah. No, I'm with you on that. I think we, with no travel involved, we went from game one to game two in the Brooklyn series with like <laughs> Sunday to Thursday or something like that. Stupid, uh, stupid. How do you feel about the C's chances now and essentially a best of three with two of those three being on South Beach? They're a better team. I was talking about this uh, today with somebody. Like they're, they're a better team. They should win the series. If they don't win, it'll be because of injuries or self-inflicted issues. Like They just decide to play two really bad games of these final three. But we've seen them at not even at full strength in game four without Marcus Smart. They didn't demolish Miami. Miami came out, couldn't have shot, and the Celtics choked him out. From there, so I don't know how you feel, Brady. I feel like they're the better team, and over the course of seven games, like I would say 95% of the time in the NBA, the better team wins. Not the Celtics right now. Yeah, I feel good about the Celtics as well. Let's move to the Red Sox, where I think we all feel a little bit better. I did this yesterday, and I want to bounce it off you. I think it's pretty clear that at this juncture, the Mariners are not a very good team. How much yep. of what we saw this weekend from the Red Sox is real versus how much is we just beat up on a team that's not very good. I don't see I, – I know you're a, a Mariners supporter, so you follow it more closely than, than a lot of people do, so it's a good read on the Mariners. But when the Red Sox are 10.5 back in the division, going into the weekend, you know, they were like eight or nine games back of a wild card spot, it does not matter, you know, what the opponent is. It really doesn't. They just need to pile up wins. I think specifically what stood out this weekend was the offense. You know, whether it's Trevor Story, whether it was uh, Franchi going deep, uh, in that final game, this team is going to go as far as the offense takes. And that final game, the series specifically, was the way I thought a lot of these first half games would play out, Brady. Like the bullpen blew it, Robles blew the save, but the offense picked them up late, and that's just who they are. So I, maybe your Mariners aren't any good this year, but it doesn't matter. The Sox <laughs> played so bad in April and early May. Give me all the Mariners and Orioles <laughs> you can handle. They, they need those wins, but offensively, I think we saw the real Red Sox this week. You know, I'm actually with you. As bad as the Mariners are, I think most of what we saw was real. I think Evaldi was yeah. turnaround was real. I think Story's turnaround was real. The one thing I will say that I think deserves to be acknowledged, the Red Sox still got down 4 nothing in a game and 5 nothing in a game and blew a save against that bad Mariners team. This very easily should have been a split, and the Sox could have lost 3 of 4. Am I being too negative in acknowledging that, well, a lot is good, not everything is perfect? Definitely not perfect. And the bullpen, no matter what happened this weekend, no matter what you saw, um, the bullpen is still uh, an issue for this team. And that's why the offense needs to be there to cover them up. Uh, High and Bloom came into this year undermanded bullpen. He apparently told some people that he knew that going in. Uh, so we'll see what he does between now and the trade deadline. But I, I think from a bullpen standpoint, they're imperfect. And I know you and I disagree. I would have Garrett Whitlock somewhere in the bullpen. You want him starting. Uh, that, that cost the Red Sox at least four games over a two-week stretch by not having him back there. Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting, and I'm glad you brought that up because I do love listening to you go back and forth on this on the pregame show. At the beginning of the year, I wanted Whitlock to be the closer. That That's what I wanted. I wanted him to be the one-inning guy and, and pitch 65 innings for the year and be a closer. But once he got put into the rotation, I'm like, well, let's just stop jockeying him back and forth. Are you, you know, now what role do you want him in at this point? 
Yeah, at this point, I mean, I can I can yell it for forty minutes every pregame show. He's starting. Like he's not. I, I I just I feel like they'll look back and say we could have used him out of the bullpen this year and done the full starter transition in two thousand twenty three. I, I that's that's what I would have done. I think the Red Sox would be better positioned for a playoff spot that way. They would be they would be less uh, necessary to go get a bullpen arm if Whitlock was back there, either as you say the closer or. That sort of rover, high leverage, you know, power roll, which you saw him pitch in a couple times for the rotation. So I think it's a mistake short term. Long term, you're right. He's a starter. They got a great deal on his contract. He's a great deal from the Yankees. But for this year, oh man, I wish he was available two, three nights a week out of the pen for high leverage spot. I think they're a better team when he's in that spot this year. I we're, really do. We're talking with Mike Mananski, Mutt from WEEI and the Red Sox Network here on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM and FM. Does how Trevor Story has played recently, or at least the potential that he's shown, does that impact in any way either your desire to bring back Bogarts or the negotiations you have with him? Oh no, no, no! I, I mean, I, see, I'm a, I'm a Bogarts fanboy though. Like, I'm not, <laughs> I, I don't, I'm not realistic on this. I think he's one of the most underappreciated players in baseball. I think finally, Red Sox fans, with them chanting "Resign Xander" last week, are starting to get how important this guy is. To me, if you're the Boston Red Sox. You're not the Mariners, sorry, not the Royals, you're not the Brewers. You had the money to do it. I want both those guys in the infield you know, for the next two years. And if you want to let him go, or three years, four years, whatever it is, you want to let him go test the market, I'm okay if they do it that way. Because I think he may find that with all the shortstops that are going to be out there, like the real top of the market, Mookie Betts money might not be there. But in the end, the Red Sox have enough money, they have enough capital to have both those guys in the infield. No question about it. You know, I was talking with Tom Karen about this maybe last week or the week before, and I think it's an interesting point. You know, you look at the veteran infielders who have signed big deals and have left their places. It hasn't always gone well, right? So Cano wasn't great, although he was better than he probably gets credit for. Rendon has not been great. Semyon has been awful thus far. Do you think Bogarts looks at those guys' struggles and says, you know what, maybe leaving isn't the right answer. Maybe I just want to stay where I'm comfortable. I don't think he looks at those guys' struggles, but I, I think he wants to be here. Like I've heard from enough people on and off the record who have talked to Bogarts, like he wants to play here in Boston. He was very disappointed by the one-year extension offer the Red Sox offered him. And it, you know, if he can get past that anger, uh, the way John Lester really couldn't, you know, I think there's a way to bring him back here. But I, I don't think Bogarts looking at other people's struggles. I, I think he'll 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 wait wanting to be in Boston, but they've got to they got to make him a fair offer. And at least as of right now, Brady, the one year extension yeah. is is not. It's not going to be in the ballpark for a player of his stature. Yeah, it's certainly not even an offer, basically, the way no, I look at no, that. Right. Um, let's right. let's finish up with the Patriots. Pats are at OTAs. All the talk really is about the play calling and who's doing it for the Patriots. How worried are you, if at all, about this Patriots offensive coaching triumvirate? Uh, if you factor in that you went from McDaniels to whatever they have, you know whether it's Bill Belichick, who you know, was calling plays yesterday, uh, on Monday at uh, down there at OTAs, Joe Judge uh, feels like it's one of those two guys. So from factoring in the drop off of what you had from McDaniel's to what might be there this year, and factoring in the mentoring of Josh uh, and and, and uh, Max, I would say a, a, sol- a solid seven, Brady, hmm. on a one to ten scale. Like I, I think it's that it's, it's that much of an issue potentially for this team. And again, like I'm a Xander fanboy, like I, I think Josh was a really good coordinator. I did not fall into that group of people. Every Sunday on Twitter, that would bash Josh McDaniels the first play that went, you know, minus three yards. <laughs> I thought he was smart. I think the Raiders were very smart to hire him. 
And yeah, I, I, if it was Bill O'Brien, I'd have very little worries. But Belichick or Joe Judge, 7 out of 10 for me. I'm not sure how you can't be worried based on what you had last year versus this year. Well, I'll get you out of here on this. We hear you on the Red Sox pregame show. We love you on there. We know you've got your show, Mud at Night, on WEI. You've also got a new podcast venture, and it sounds like Mutt's Big Bets are now uh, transformed into long-form podcasting. Tell me about this newest venture. We are. I am uh, lucky to be the host slash co-host of the only daily uh, betting podcast in Boston. It's called BetQL Boston. Uh, bet the letters QL in Boston, iTunes, uh, the Odyssey app, Spotify, wherever the fine folks in Vermont uh, get their podcasts available. You can subscribe there. And every day it's myself and Chris Schein who produces the Greg Hill Show here, a couple of degenerates uh, going <laughs> over Boston betting trends, making picks, talking about betting. Uh, I'd be doing this off the air with Schein anyway, and now I get to do it uh, in podcast form. So it's not long. It's, you know, it's something that's gone as short as eight minutes and as long as 40 minutes here in the first couple of weeks. But uh, we're very lucky to be doing it and hope people – that are interested in that sort of thing. Maybe Vermont will legalize sports betting before Massachusetts here uh, in the next uh, year or so. But, uh, yeah, I appreciate bringing that up, Brady, and we're having a lot of fun at that QL ball. Well, we appreciate you coming on. We look forward to listening to that. We look forward to hearing you always on the Red Sox Network here on WDEV. Sox baseball coming up here a uh, little over an hour from now at 710. Mutt, we appreciate it, and we will talk to you again down the road. Next time you're at Fenway, hopefully I'm there. I know you got the Rob Bradford uh, Gold uh, Star Tour uh, this past week. I'm glad you got that taken care of, buddy. Great talking to you. Yeah, great to talk with you as well. I will have to let you uh, let Mutt know that. So uh, I don't know that I call it a Gold Star Tour, but I I did. My dad was like, I I felt real bad for you that your Mariners got beaten historically or in heartbreaking fashion, but you seem to be yucking it up with the stars and bragging about it. What am I supposed to do? Hey, Dad, I went to the game, and, uh, yeah, my team lost on a walk-off grand slam. I'm not going to lead with that. I'm going to lead with, hey, I got to try and Will Middlebrooks' uh, World Series ring. So I'll have to let Mutt know, too, next time that I'm there. Got a text in, Napa Morrisville, Napa Waterbury text line. Didn't see this in time. Probably wouldn't have asked it anyways. Virginian Starksboro, ask Mutt how his buddy Kirk Minahane is doing. I need an update. Mutt is the best. I have no idea if Kirk Minahane and Mutt are actually friends or that's some sarcastic joke that I'm supposed to know that predates me being in the market. I can tell you that Kirk Minahane is over at Barstool Sports. That's what he's doing, and he's working there, and he's had some issues at Barstool in the same way. He, well, not in the same way, but he had issues at EEI. He's got issues at Barstool, but... He still works there, so he's clearly valued enough and uh, does well enough for them. But Mutt is the best. We do love having Mutt on. He is awesome. Tomorrow, we're going to talk a lot about the Patriots. Not the whole show. I understand it's May. it'll be May 25th and we got other things going on. But the OTA stuff, the play calling stuff, the breakdown, we got a lot of information on that today. We'll get to it tomorrow. So uh, Mutt says his worry level is 7 out of 10. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. So, national news update coming next from CBS News. And then, I took the train to work today. I took the the Amtrak Vermonter to work today. I will tell you my stories, and I got some questions I need to get to the bottom of. I need some answers. Somebody might know them. That's next on DEV. Brady Farkas Show now has an interactive text line. So reach out now at 802-585-3026. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. 
Welcome back in. Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Red Sox baseball, a little over an hour from now, 7-10. Pre-game show for Sox and White Sox from Chicago. The Red Sox have won five straight. White Sox just took two of three and swept a doubleheader from the Yankees. Thanks to Mike Mutnansky, a.k.a. Mutt, over at WEEI for joining us. You can... Get the full interview with Mud and our full show podcast after the show by downloading or rather subscribing to the Brady Farkas Show podcast channel on both Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. I got I took the train to work today. I got to tell you, I took the train today, and it was an absolute pleasure. I have some questions I need answered, but today's experience was an absolute pleasure. So that's right. I took the short train today, and I'm going to take the train for the next two days. So I got on at Essex Junction. I took the train to Waterbury. Then I'll go back at night. Logistically, it works perfect for me on these nights where I have long shows, right? So I get to work at about 10.15 when I take the train. I leave at 7.55 at night. So I do this show until 7, do a half hour of post-production stuff, walk down to the train station, leave at 7.55. So timing-wise, for me, it works out perfectly. It makes for a slightly longer day in the office. You know, Usually I get in about 11. This gets me in at 10.15. But all in all, it's not bad. I know it doesn't work out perfectly for everybody who works in a 9-to-5 job or an 8-to-4 job or whatever. It works well for me on these days. So the reason why I'm doing this, first and foremost is to save miles on my car, right? It's a 60-mile drive round trip for me to go from Essex to Waterbury and back. I have a leased car. Now, my car is brand new. I just got it in March, but it's a lease, and I'm already like clearly going to be blowing way over my mile limit. So anywhere, and I'm probably going to try to buy it afterwards, so it's not the biggest deal if I go over it, but... You know, I'm trying not to go over it way too early. So when I buy the car, it's not, you know, driven into the ground. So try to save miles. And then with gas as expensive as it is, I'm getting close to it being essentially the same price to, to drive as to take the train. So I get to save miles on my car and money wise, it's close to a wash. So that's that's why I'm doing this. Today, my train ride was the experience was absolutely seamless. Like, I did this last summer right after the Amtrak Vermonter got back online, and honestly, it was a nightmare. Last summer when I did this, it was a nightmare. It was late getting there on the way down. It was late picking up. I actually skipped it one day because it it just didn't come. It was going too slow. Last summer, I did not have a good experience. Today, perfect. A year later, perfect. Picked up an Essex right on time. Got me here to Waterbury actually five minutes earlier than it was supposed to. Here's hoping that this. Here's hoping that the uh, trip home is as perfect as the trip down. But I do have a question. Somebody who's smarter than me, someone who's lived in the state longer than me, 802-585-3026, Napa Morrisville, Napa Waterbury text line. Maybe you have the answer to this. Tell me why, on earth, the Amtrak Vermonter does not let you buy some sort of commuter pass. Answer me that, please, because I'd really love to know what the reason is. I'm going to take this train three days this week. I'm going to take this as long as I have long shows at night and the gas prices remain as they are. Anytime we have a full show until 7, the train will be my method of transportation. Why is there not some kind of deal? I would love to know this. A deal where you get 
10 rides a month and it's for a slightly discounted rate. You get a daily commuter pass and it's a slightly discounted rate. Like something like a mild monetary incentive for doing this. So here's how much this costs. It's not that much. It costs $11 each way for me. $11 to get from Essex to Waterbury. $11 back from Waterbury to Essex. So $22 a day. If I took it five days this week, all five days will be $110. I'd save the miles. $110 is more than I would spend in gas in a week. Even if I got gas twice, it wouldn't cost $110. For some of you, it might be a huge monetary win also to only spend $110. For me, it's not It's not there. Why is there not a discount? I got to imagine that the state would love to see people using the train to commute, right? Green initiatives, less drivers on the road, safer. I got to imagine the state would love people like me to take the train. Why is it not to a point where it's a clear monetary win? Can someone answer that for me? These five trips, round trip, $110. Why is it not five for 95 for the weekly pass? Why is there not a monthly pass? Why is there not a 10, a 10 ride pass? Why is there not a yearly pass? There should be all of these things. I'm wondering why there's not. Green Mountain Transit is completely free. Heck, even the Lake Champlain Ferry offers a commuter pass that offers discounts between New York and, and Vermont if you're using it frequently enough. Can someone answer it for me? 802-585-3026. Because I like taking the train. I think it's fun. I think it's relaxing. I don't have to drive. I save the miles on my car. It's not enough of a financial win for me to make it a part of my routine, though. But if I could buy a, a weekly pass, I would do it. If I could buy a 10-ride pass, I'd do it, a 30-ride pass. Why does that not exist? On the afternoon news service, I'm doing stories where Green Mountain Transit is free, and it's going to remain free. The busing system around the state is free. The train will cost you $20 a day to take and commute. I just don't get it. It's not that it's an exorbitant amount of money. It's just the principle of the thing. The ferry offers a, a discounted rate. For commuters, the buses are free. Why is this not something? Because if we could get to the point where this was a monetary win for people, I think a lot more people would take it, and it would be a lot more appealing. I know the timing doesn't work for everybody. It works for me, not everybody, but a lot more people, I think, would take it if it was a clear monetary win, and it is not. All right, if anybody has an answer to that, you let me know. 802-585-3026. I have more economics questions coming later in the show, and I'm going to need answers to those too. And while I'm crowdsourcing, let me just start. Let me just ask this. I want to pose a question to the audience. Simply put, are people excited about the Boston Celtics right now? Simple crowdsourcing question. 802-585-3026. Are people excited about the Celtics right now? Because I'll be honest, I'm not feeling the love for the Celtics. 
We got a Game 4 win in which the Celtics dominated last night, even up the Eastern Conference Finals at two games apiece. Not one text message on the Celtics. If you are not interested about them, then I won't talk about them. I will just talk about Mac Jones' new diet, if that is what you would prefer. I am genuinely surprised at what appears to be, at what feels like, a lack of interest in the Celtics. The Celtics are two wins away from the NBA Finals and nary a peep about them on the text line. And that disappoints me because I think that this is a very, very exciting time. At a time when we don't think the Red Sox are true contenders, at a time where most people are down on the Patriots, at a time where the Bruins are already out and entering a big-time offseason, the, the, the spotlight should be on the Celtics. Your excitement, your focus, your hope, it should be on the Seas. The Celtics have all the things that we usually value in teams, all the things that usually make us excited and cause us to rally around teams, the Celtics have. The Celtics have young veteran talent. They aren't all fresh out of college kids where you all come where they come out of school and you think everything's handed to them, they're all spoiled brats. They're not that team. They're not a team full of 21-year-olds. They're also not a team full of 37-year-olds who are old and slow. They are young players entering the prime of their career who are maturing into the prime of their career. Their games are developing. They've got their players that have been through battles on the court and off the court, and they've come out the other side. We genuinely love the arc of a team building. Right, we love to hear about a team that is built from the ground up, and the Celtics have been built. This version of the Celtics have been built from the ground up. We usually value that. Why are more people not seemingly jumping on board? I'd love to know that. Are you excited or why are you not? I'd love to know. 802-585-3026. The Celtics also, they play defense. One of the biggest grievances that I hear about the NBA is that guys don't play defense. The Celtics do it. They are the, look, if you don't want to watch Minnesota and Portland on a late Thursday night, fine. You don't want to watch OKC and New Orleans, Fine. Atlanta and Orlando, fine. This is the Eastern Conference Finals, and the Celtics are the top defensive team in the NBA. They value it. They coach it. They preach it. They execute it. We usually like teams that are scrappy, that play hard, that dive on the floor. We value that as fans. Why does this run not seem valued? By by my audience, this run does not seem valued. And I'm just telling you straight, I will I will talk about Mac Jones's new diet if that is what you'd rather hear about. I told you all along, from the start, from day one, this is your show and I'm just driving the bus. If I got 10, 10 messages saying, hey, we'd rather talk about Mac's diet, I'd do it. I'd do it. This is the Eastern Conference Finals. I'm shocked that more people don't seem invested. And finally... Most importantly, most importantly to me, the Celtics are a roster that is constructed 
in the way that we usually like, we usually appreciate, and we usually approve of. The Celtics are not bought and paid for like the Nets. They're not overrun by one star like the Lakers. The Celtics are a homegrown team. They are a team full of drafted and developed players. Jalen Brown, homegrown. Jason Tatum, homegrown. Marcus Smart, homegrown. Peyton Pritchard, homegrown. Their their supplemental parts, you know, Derek White, not a household name. Al Horford, at the end of his career, essentially, finding the fountain of youth. Daniel Tice, homegrown. Robert Williams, homegrown. We love teams like this usually. Why do I not feel the love for this team? I, I, I am loving this run. You're right. I, I'm not. I wasn't talking a lot of Celtics when they were playing Orlando in December. Like, I understand that I'm getting on the bus late into this season, too, and I'm curious why no one seems to be joining me. Right? When they're playing Orlando in December, we got Patriots football. That is the priority then. This is the priority now from April 1st until now. If you hadn't been invested, you should be invested. That is how I see it. Oh, now the texts are coming in. 802-585-3026. Let's run down the list and see what everybody has to say. Unnamed texter. We're excited about the Celtics. They are definitely a legitimate finals contender. Thank you, unnamed texter. Ralph over in New York. It's been an interesting series so far, dot, dot, dot. It has been interesting. Ross says, I'm excited how the Celtics are doing, but I keep missing the phone number to text in. 802-585-3026, the Napa-Morrisville, Napa-Waterbury text line. You can always check us there. Dave in Montpelier, I'm as equally excited as I am exasperated by these Celtics, and this Heat series is tough to watch with its roller coaster nature. I tough to watch. That's an interesting turn of phrase. Let me see here. I do I think this series has been extremely physical. And I think there have been moments where the series is is where the basketball itself is tough to watch. I, I would agree with Dave in that regard. Last night's basketball, even though the Celtics grew out to a big lead, last night's basketball was very helter-skelter. Last night's basketball was not smooth. It was not fluid. I don't need every game to be 137 to 134. In fact, I don't want any games to be like that. But last night felt like a, you know, last night was a bloodbath. If the two teams, if the game had been close, it felt like it would have been 84 to 79, and I don't need that either. So it's been hard to watch from a style of play and from a physicality. I don't mind a series, though, with ebbs and flows. I don't mind a series that goes back and forth. I don't mind that at all. So having a 2-2 series after four games where you've split them every other from here on out, that doesn't bother me. I think that's exciting. I think that's good sports, good drama, good theater. So it depends on what you mean by hard to watch. Ross gets back again. It's a great series, but there's so much unknown. Lose by 20 one night, win by 20 the next. Sure, we'd all like the series to be cl- the games to be closer. That that I can agree with that. 
right? 96-94 would be better than 102-82. I'm with you on that. But still, it's the Eastern Conference Finals. I think you got to be invested. I'm glad that some of the texters have come out of the woodwork here and are telling me they're in on the Celtics. Watson in Irisburg. Oh, he goes the other way. Sorry, Brady. Can't get into the Celtics. I prefer college basketball. Go Cats, go. Well, hey, Watson, look, I love the Cats too. No complaints for me on that front. None at all. If you like UVM, I got no complaints on that. I love UVM also. But you do bring up an interesting dynamic about college versus the NBA. As I get older... I like the NBA way more than I like college. As I get older, every year, my like for the NBA goes up and my like for college goes down. I love watching UVM. I watch most of their games. I'm genuine when I say that. But you can't find me watching Oklahoma and Texas on a Monday very often anymore. Florida State, Boston College on a Wednesday doesn't generally appeal to me. Looking around for Butler and Seton Hall is not something that I'm doing at this age. The further removed that I get from college, the less interested I am in college basketball. That's just it. It has nothing to do with the transfer portal or conference realignment or the NCAA or anything else. It's just the further removed I get from college players being my peers, the less that I'm interested The NBA guys are now my peers. Again, I'm older than a lot of them too, but they're closer to being my peers. When I I loved college basketball, I loved it when I was 18. And those were guys I could see myself being, you know, being around. When I was 22, hey, guys that I, you know, hey, I, I could be in college now. These guys could be my teammates in theory. That was a lot more fun to me. Now that I am 32 years old, going on 33, the NBA is far more appealing to me. Um, So there you go. 802-585-3026. Good text, though, by Watson in uh, wherever I said why. Irisburg. That might be our first text from Irisburg. I have to go back and check the records here. I have a record of everybody who's texted us and where they're from. I would have to see if that's our first text from Irisburg. All right. Let's switch gears here. We're going to talk about the Patriots tomorrow in the uh, in, in the OTA portion of their offseason schedule. I got a lot of thoughts on the Pats and a lot of audio on the Pats. I want to go just on the national NFL front here. Let's get to who's saying what. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What did he say? Mac Jones. Good Lord. Mel Kuyper's got to slow down on this. Mac Jones ain't going to work, folks. It's not going to work. He's got to come to terms with it. It's not going to work. They really said that? Every damn thing is politics and race. And I'm losing my mind over it. It's time for Who's Saying What on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Who's Saying What brought to you by Vermont Laser Wash. That's Central Vermont's home of unlimited car washes beginning at just $20 a month. If you want one free car wash, you can text the word Vermont to the number 30 and then 400. I'm going to get to the NFL in a second, but I want one more Celtics um, text here. First time texter, long time Celtics fan, most exciting the team has been in years. Well, good. There Five texts saying now we're excited about the Celtics. Good. I can keep talking about them then. 
I can keep talking about them, keep up the same texting energy here throughout the rest of the playoffs as well. I want to get to the NFL for who's saying what. A national look at the NFL situation. I just thought this was really interesting when I came across it this morning. Mina Kimes, ESPN MLB, uh, NFL insider, rather, was talking about which quarterback in the NFL had the most pressure heading into 2022. Which QB is under the most pressure? It has to be Tua Tungavailoa. I don't see how there's any other answer. The Miami Dolphins have basically devoted their entire offseason to putting him into a position to succeed, training for one of the best wide receivers in the NFL, signing one of the best left tackles in the NFL, adding a slew of running backs, then, of course, an offensive-minded head coach. They're doing all of that while also making it clear that if he doesn't succeed, if he doesn't win the season, they will move on. Do you agree with Mina? 802-585-3026 that Tua Tagovailoa in Miami is the quarterback under the most pressure in this upcoming NFL season. And that's so tough. I can't sit here and say that Mina is wrong. Tua is clearly, for all the reasons she evidenced, under a ton of pressure, right? He's fighting for his job in Miami. He's potentially fighting for a starting spot in the league as a result. His team has gone all in on trying to get to the playoffs and win. I can't say that Mina is wrong, but I am going to throw out a few other names that need to be considered. I don't think it's just a slam dunk home run run that, that two is under the most pressure. I think Kyler Murray is under a lot of pressure. His team last year was tracking for the number one seed in the NFC, and they fell off as they have done habitually during his time in the NFL. His head coach is fighting for his job still. You're in a division with the Rams and 49ers, both of which could be better than you, one of which is the Super Bowl champion. You're currently holding out of OTAs. You've demanded a new contract. You have put your money where your mouth is. You have put the target on you. I think Kyler Murray is under a lot of pressure this year. Tua is undeniably also. But Kyler Murray is in that fourth year now. He's in that, you know, are they going to exercise my option? Are they going to pay me? Are they going to give me what I want? I've demanded a trade. I've made life uncomfortable in Arizona, what exactly is going to happen with our relationship? How am I going to play? Am I going to put up or shut up? I've never performed well from Thanksgiving on in the NFL. My team got blown out in the playoffs last year. Kyler Murray's under a lot of pressure. And if you think that he's not, then I would challenge you to go back and look again. I think Carson Wentz is again under a ton of pressure. He literally is fighting for his quarterback life right now. There are no more other chances for Carson Wentz to at least be a starter with a team that has any kind of goals or any kind of relevance. This is it. If he capitalizes in Washington, then he can be the guy that everybody thought he was four years ago. If he busts in Washington, he's done. He's he's on the way to the backup train, and he'll become the next uh, you know, Matt Barkley at that rate. Daniel Jones is fighting for his quarterback life. He's under pressure. Jared Goff is fighting for his quarterback life. Sam Darnold is fighting for his quarterback life. Baker Mayfield is fighting for his quarterback life. So there is inherently Deshaun Watson is a different kind of pressure. Like 
So does Josh Allen and Derek Carr and Russell Wilson and Aaron Rodgers. There's inherently pressure at the quarterback position. Tua is under immense pressure, but, man, I, I think Kyler Murray is the guy that rivals him the most. The other guys all have pressure in their own way. I guess Tua and Kyler would be the two guys I think have the highest degree of pressure heading into this season. Sneaky, I think Russell Wilson has a degree of pressure also. Leaving a place he's always been, they gave up a ton to get you. You're following in the footsteps of both Elway and Peyton Manning. You're in division now with Mahomes and with you know Devontae Adams and Josh McDaniels and Justin Herbert. It's not easy. It's not going to be easy for Russell Wilson and the Broncos. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. We spoke to Mutt from WEI about an hour ago. We talked a little bit about the Red Sox situation with Xander Bogarts. I will tell you my biggest fear when it comes to the Sox and Bogart situation. That's next on DEV. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in. Brady Farkas Show here on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Just got a call in at the commercial break. I was asking about why are there not discount passes for the Amtrak Vermonter, and I get told Amtrak is a federal thing. The state of Vermont has no control over it and call my senator. So I don't like that answer, but... At least it's an answer, and it's an honest answer, and it's an answer that's right, so I appreciate the caller for calling in. I have another question that someone smarter than me can answer in about 10 minutes because I, I have a question about gas prices, and I'm getting someone smarter than me can have an answer for me on the text line, but we'll do that in about 10 to 15 minutes. Red Sox baseball is coming up at 7-10 tonight. Sox taking on the White Sox on the south side. Of Chicago. The show is brought to you, by the way, by Pro Driver Training. That's Pro Driver Training, Vermont's premier truck driver training school. Online at ProDriverCDL.com. That's ProDriverCDL.com, where they can help you with your Class A CDL, Class B CDL, passenger and advanced skills training. And they can also uh, give you book work and real life application of that book work as well. When it comes to Xander Bogart's my biggest fear for the Red Sox is this, that the Red Sox will hold other infielders' failures against Bogarts, and then they'll play power games with Bogarts. He'll get angry, and then he'll walk. That's my fear. Like, Here's what I mean. Anthony Rendon got a huge deal from the Angels. This is his third year. The COVID year, he was pretty good, 2020. Last year, hurt for two-thirds of the year, hit 240. This year, he's hitting 239. Has not been great since leaving Washington. Marcus Semyon, you know, 32 years old, hitting 182 right now in Texas a year after leaving Toronto. Robinson Cano got a big deal, had to cheat twice in order to keep up his production. And Javi Baez is hitting 214 in Detroit after leaving. We saw Trevor Story really struggle up until the last week in a new situation in Boston. Some of those deals have worked out. Nolan Arenado's pretty good still, but we've seen big money infielders get money around 30, leave their original place, and really struggle. So my my fear is that this will happen. 
Red Sox ownership will look at those guys and say to themselves internally, look, it happened to Semyon, it happened to Cano, it happened to Baez, it happened to Rendon. It's not worth the risk to give Bogarts a huge deal. Internally, I fear they will say that. Hey, track record is 30-year-old infielders that get big money. Just not worth it. Not going to work out. And then ownership will do what they've done, make Bogarts a really, really low ball offer that is clearly beneficial to them and hurts him. And then now they've angered Bogarts and he will walk away. That is what I fear. They'll also say, well, we've got story already. That's kind of our leverage on Bogarts. We can just work on Devers. We can just let Bogarts go. We're not going to take the chance. Maybe if Bogarts came back begging to them, they'd be all right with bringing him back. But they're certainly not wanting to break the bank because the other older infielders haven't worked out as well. That is my fear. And for me, there has to be a happy medium. Does there not? There has to be. I fully understand the team not wanting to give Xander Bogarts an eight-year, $250 million deal at the age of 30. I do. I, through the names I've just listed to you, I've seen enough failures to know that 30-year-old infielders getting eight years and 250-plus, that is a problem. But I also know that Xander Bogarts is way too good, is far too good for the one-year $30 million extension they offered him. That is laughable. There's got to be a deal that works for both sides out there. Does there not? I really do think five years for $150 million is fair for Xander Bogarts. Heck, they gave J.D. Martinez five for 120 in a different economy, and he doesn't even play defense. Five for 150 for a premium offensive player who's been a career Red Sox player, that seems perfectly reasonable, does it not? You don't have to go the eight years that you fear, but he gets more than the one to three year deal that is clearly only a benefit to you or is an insult to him financially. I asked Mutt from WEEI a little while ago if Bogarts looks at those guys' failures and comes to the Red Sox and says, I don't want to risk leaving, and here is what Bo- uh, here's what Mutt said. I don't think he looks at those guys' struggles, but I, I think he wants to be here. Like I've heard from enough people on and off the record who have talked to Bogarts, like he wants to play here in Boston. He was very disappointed by the one-year extension offer the Red Sox offered him. And it, you know if he can get past that anger uh, the way John Lester really couldn't, you know I think there's a way to bring him back here. Do you think that Bogarts looks at those guys I named failures or struggles? And do you think he says, they all left, they all struggled, I want to stay? Do you think he goes to the red side? Do you think he's thinking internally, those guys struggled, I don't want to leave? I don't think that he is. But I am curious if you think that he is. I don't think he looks at those guys' failures. I think Xander Bogarts thinks that that wouldn't happen to him. That So I don't think he's afraid to leave Boston if he doesn't get treated fairly. But I, like Mutt, believe he would rather be there. I just hope 
that the Sox don't massively lowball him out of fear that he struggles like those other guys. You don't want to go eight for 240, 250. I get it. And I could pro and I probably would support you not going eight for 240. But five for 150. There's got to be a deal in that neighborhood that is a happy medium that uh, would give Bogarts the another round of life-changing money, would give Bogarts security until he's 35 and give him one more chance to go and get a good one- or two-year deal. And if you're the Red Sox, you're continuing to make sure you control his prime and not solely, you know, you don't have to go all the way into the full downswing of his career. I'd be all in at five for one. I'd sign five for one fifty tomorrow. I'd sign five for one fifty tomorrow. They want to go six for one fifty, uh, six for one seventy five, to so they can up story. I'd be fine with that too. Beyond that, we're we're talking, you know, we're talking danger zone. But I want the Red Sox to bring Bogarts back, and I hope they don't hold other guys' failures against him. That is one of my fears. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. I got an answer from one guy about the Amtrak situation. Now, all of you other people out there that, that play economists, I need an answer to this question. Why are gas prices so high? I'm going to ask that, and we'll give you the Red Sox lineups. That's next on DEV. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back. Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. We'll bring you the Red Sox lineups here in a couple minutes. Sox and White Sox, 710 with the pregame show here on your home for the Red Sox, WDEV. I finally need an answer to this question. Okay, I finally need an answer to this question. Why are gas prices so high? Gas prices are probably going to reach $5 a gallon in Vermont by Memorial Day weekend, by like a week from now. I told you earlier I'm taking the train to work these next couple of days because gas prices are so high, coupled with the fact I want to save miles on my lease car. I am not smart enough to know the answer, but why is it that gas prices are so high? And here is what I wonder. Here, And you can tell me and I'm an, I'm an idiot for thinking this. I'm certainly not an economist, and I am not a historian, and I am not somebody who studies money. You can, you can tell me if I'm an idiot, but here is my question. Every time I hear people talk about high gas prices, it always comes back to the same thing. Supply and demand. Okay, Supply and demand. That is the reason why the gas prices are so high. And that would make sense to me if I ever saw the supply going away. And what I mean is this. Like... If there's two gas stations in the same neighborhood and they're fighting over who gets to buy a limited supply of gas and they're fighting so hard that one guy has to pay way more to get the gas and the other guy gets nothing, well, then I would understand if guy number one now has to charge me more because he had to pay way more to beat guy number two. That would make sense. However, I have not seen at all one time one gas station be out of gas. The supply certainly seems to be there. If this were a situation where this station had it and that station didn't, and they were competing for each other and the price was getting driven up, I would understand me and you having to pay more. 
that would be supply and demand to me that makes sense. Where is how does it work in this case? Because I don't see the supply being gone at all. I see gas everywhere on every corner. Everybody seems to have it. It doesn't seem to be an issue that of supply. So why is it that it costs so much? These gas stations don't appear to be fighting each other to get it. If that were the case, I'd understand. Doesn't seem to be that way. Somebody who is smarter than me, please I, tell me I'm an idiot. Give me the answer. Because I'm looking around and I'm like, oh, supply and demand, supply and demand. That's why everything costs so much. Really? D d this gas station and that gas station, they both have it. Same side of the street. Why is it that I'm being charged an arm and a leg when the supply doesn't appear to be going anywhere? Doesn't appear to be anything wrong with the supply. Now, Dean, who's much smarter than me, he says the perfect storm, the administration's policy towards fossil fuel, greed with investors, OPEC, and lastly, Russia, it's not all-inclusive. Now, that's a smart answer. That's an answer that's better, more encompassing than supply and demand. In fact, he didn't even say supply and demand. Okay, fine. Maybe it was never supply and demand in the first place like I thought it was. Maybe other not smart people are just saying supply and demand and I'm just drinking the Kool-Aid because none of us really know. Because I have no idea. I'm taking the train today and the next two days and I'll enjoy it. But I'm like, I'm doing this because in part because it's so damn expensive to drive right now. Why is it that it's so expensive to drive? My train leaves a little over an hour from now. I'm very excited. I hope that my trip home is as good as my, uh, you know, I hope my trip home is as good as my trip here. Texter on the text line. One reason. Biden. Okay. Maybe. <laughs> Just like everything was one reason Trump. I don't know. I'm certainly not know, smart enough about politics to know how politicians' policies are playing into this. Could be. No idea. But interesting, not supply and demand. I thought it was supply and demand. Everybody said supply and demand, supply and demand, supply and demand. Everybody's got the supply. It's everywhere. It just costs way more than it did a year ago or a year and a half ago. Like, I don't, ex I get it. When, when, when there was no demand for it, I get it costing, you know, $1.70 or whatever I was paying for it at the, in March of 2020. I don't expect it to go back there. But could we get to 285, please? Can we get to 310? Because this is just absurd. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Red Sox baseball comes up 20 minutes from now. Red Sox, White Sox, south side of Chicago. Red Sox have won five straight. They're 19 and 22. The White Sox struggled out of the gate, but they're playing better also. They're 21 and 20. Pitching matchup tonight is the battle of the very hot against the very good. Nick Pavetta's two and four with a 4-2-2, but he's been dynamite in the month of May. Dylan Cease has been dynamite all season. Four and one with a 309. Kike Hernandez leads off in center, hitting 195, creeping closer and closer to that 200 mark, a homer and 17 ribbies. Rafi Devers at 335, nine homers, 24 ribbies. J.D. Martinez is at 349, five homers, 20 ribbies. Xander Bogart's at 325. Alex Verdugo's back in the lineup. He's in left field. Remember, he had that illness uh, on 
Saturday. He's hitting 214. The red hot American League Player of the Week, Trevor Story, is hitting sixth at second base, hitting 226 with 29 RBIs. That's the highest total of anybody in this game. Franchi Cordero, 231, one big homer and seven RBIs. He's at first base. Christian Vasquez is the catcher. And JBJ, he's over the Mendoza line at 203 with a homer and 14 ribbies. For the White Sox, they are out a couple of big pieces in this lineup. Eloy Jimenez is out, has been for a while. Luis Robert, one of the top young players in baseball, he's out on the COVID list. Tim Anderson's at shortstop. He leads off hitting 359. Yoan Moncada, former Red Sox farmhand, fresh off the injured list not that long ago, hitting just 176. He plays third. A.J. Pollock, the former Vermont Mountaineer, is in left. Jose Abreu's at first. Yasmani Grandal is the catcher. He bats fifth. Gavin Sheets is the DH. He bats sixth. Leori Garcia is at second base, batting seventh. Andrew Vaughn, the young prospect, is in right field. He bats eighth. And Adam Engel is the center fielder. He bats ninth. He plays for Robert. That's your lineup here. I gave the lineup to you a little early because I actually want to talk a little bit about one note in this series. I mentioned Moncada being the former Red Sox farmhand. Well, I'm disappointed that we won't get a chance to see Michael Kopech in this series. If you remember, Kopech is another former Red Sox farmhand, a former Sox top pitching prospect. He was part of the trade with Moncada. It was Kopech and Moncada that went to the White Sox to bring back Chris Sale. Kopech has been awesome this year for the Sox. As a starter, he's got a 1-2-9 ERA in a perfect game the other night at Yankee Stadium into the sixth, maybe the seventh inning. I don't do the whole who won the trade thing really right now because the Red Sox won a World Series with sales, so what they gave up is kind of immaterial to me, but I will just say this. I am so excited for the Red Sox and Haim Bloom to develop another pitching prospect that has as much upside as Kopech does. It's not easy. Doesn't happen overnight, but Haim Bloom is here in part because of his ability to rework the farm system and to create a steady pipeline of guys that can contribute. I cannot wait for the next Michael Kopech to come through the Red Sox system. Maybe he's here already. Maybe he's not. Maybe it's... Josh Winkowski, maybe it's Brian Bello, maybe it's uh, you know, maybe maybe it's someone they've got at the low minors. I don't know, but I'm disappointed we're not going to see Kopech in this series. But I'm very, very excited to see the next Kopech come through the Red Sox system. That's part of the thing that High and Bloom is here to do, and that is create prospects that come up and bring you excitement. I want to say. And I don't remember how long it goes back, but I saw a stat today that said having the top farm system in baseball has yielded a playoff team within two years of you having the number one ranking for the last several years. I don't know how far back it goes exactly, but Hyam Bloom inherited a farm system that was in the low 20s in baseball. He's got it up to 11 entering this season. If he can get it to a top five farm system. Well, now you're feeling good about what he wants, which is creating a sustainable pipeline of talent. 
All right, that's going to do it for us here on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, Red Sox Baseball, 15 minutes from now. So what's going to happen is is we're going to have a long national news update. We're going to take the national news update all the way out from 7 until 7.10. And then at that point, then it will be Red Sox Baseball, the pregame show. It's still in cease for Chicago. Nick Pavetta for your Red Sox as the Red Sox look to win their sixth straight game. We'll be back at it tomorrow with the same deal, another full 90-minute show Tom Karen from Nesson will stop by. Freddie Coleman of ESPN Radio you will hear from as well. And a lot of Patriots OTA talk. Pat's OTA talk. How concerned are we about uh, the offensive coaching situation? Go download the podcast. Thanks to Mutt for stopping by. Sox Baseball's next on DEV.